Book Eight, Chapters Seven through Eleven, Volume One of Le Morte d'Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Catherine Fitz. Le Morte d'Arthur, Volume One, by Sir Thomas Mallory. Book Eight, Chapter Seven. And then Sir Marhaus advised Sir Tristram, and said thus, Young knight, Sir Tristram, what dost thou here? Me sore repenteth of thy courage, for wit thou well I have been assayed, and the best knights of this land have been assayed of my hand. And also I have matched with the best knights of the world, and therefore by my counsel return again unto thy vessel. And, fair knight, and well-proved knight, said Sir Tristram, thou shalt well wit I may not forsake thee in this quarrel for I am for thy sake made knight, and thou shalt well wit that I am a king's son born, and gotten upon a queen, and such promise I have made at my uncle's request, and mine own seeking, that I shall fight with thee unto the uttermost, and deliver Cornwall from the old Truish. And also wit thou well, Sir Marhaus, that this is the greatest cause that thou couragest me to have ado with thee, for thou art called one of the most renowned knights of the world, and because of that noise and fame that thou hast, thou givest me courage to have ado with thee, for never yet was I proved with good knight. And sith and I took the order of knighthood this day, I am well pleased that I may have ado with so good a knight as thou art. And now wit thou well, Sir Marhaus, that I cast me to get worship on thy body, and if that I not be proved, I trust to God that I shall be worshipfully proved upon thy body, and to deliver the country of Cornwall for ever from all manner of truish, from Ireland for ever. When Sir Marhaus had heard him say what he would, he said then thus again, Fair knight, sith then it is so that thou castest to win worship of me, I let thee wit worship may thou none lose by me if thou mayst stand me three strokes. For I let thee wit for my noble deeds, proved and seen, King Arthur made me knight of the table round. Then they began to future their spears, and they met so fiercely together that they smote either other down, both horse and all. But Sir Marhaus smote Sir Tristram a great wound in the side, with his spear. And then they avoided their horses, and pulled out their swords, and threw their shields afore them. And then they lashed together, as men that were wild and courageous. And when they had stricken together so long, then they left their strokes, and foined at their breaths and visors. And when they saw that that might not prevail them, then they hurtled together like rams, to bear either other down. Thus they fought still more than half a day, and either were wounded passing sore, that the blood ran down freshly from them upon the ground. By then Sir Tristram waxed more fresher than Sir Marhaus, and better winded and bigger, and with a mighty stroke he smote Sir Marhaus upon the helm such a buffet that it went through his helm, and through the coif of steel, and through the brain-pan, and the sword stuck so fast in the helm and in his brain-pan that Sir Tristram pulled thrice at his sword, or ever he might pull it out from his head. And there Marhaus fell down upon his knees, the edge of Tristram's sword left in his brain-pan. And suddenly Sir Marhaus rose groveling, and threw his sword and his shield from him, and so ran to his ships and fled his way. And Sir Tristram had ever his shield and sword. And when Sir Tristram saw Sir Marhaus withdraw him, he said, Ah, Sir Knight of the Round Table, why withdrawest thou? Thou dost thyself and thy kin great shame, for I am but a young knight, or now I was never proved, 
and rather than I should withdraw me from thee, I had rather been hewn in a hundred pieces. Sir Marhaus answered no word, but yeed his way, sore groaning. Well, Sir Knight, said Sir Tristram, I promise thee thy sword and thy shield shall be mine, and thy shield shall I wear in all places where I ride on mine adventures, and in the sight of King Arthur and all the round table. CHAPTER Eight. Anon Sir Marhaus and his fellowship departed into Ireland, and as soon as he came to the king, his brother, he let search his wounds, and when his head was searched, a piece of Sir Tristram's sword was found therein, and might never be had out of his head for no surgeons, and so he died of Sir Tristram's sword. And that piece of sword the queen, his sister, kept it for ever with her, for she thought to be revenged, and she might. Now we turn again unto Sir Tristram, that was sore wounded, and full sore bled that he might not within a little while, when he had taken cold, aneath stir him of his limbs. And then he set him down softly upon a little hill, and bled fast. Then anon came Gouvernail, his man, with his vessel, and the king and his barons came with procession against him. And when he was come unto the land, King Mark took him in his arms, and the king and Sir Dinas the seneschal led Sir Tristram into the castle of Tintagil, and then he was searched in the best manner, and laid in his bed. And when King Mark saw his wounds, he wept heartily, and so did all his lords. So God me help, said King Mark, I would not for all my lands that my nephew died. So Sir Tristram lay there a month and more, and ever he was like to die of that stroke that Sir Marhaus smote him first with the spear. For, as the French book saith, the spear's head was envenomed, that Sir Tristram might not be whole. Then was King Mark and all his barons passing heavy, for they deemed none other but that Sir Tristram should not recover. Then the king let send after all manner of leeches and surgeons, both unto men and women, and there was none that would behold him the life. Then came there a lady that was a right wise lady, and she said plainly unto King Mark, and to Sir Tristram, and to all his barons, that he should never be whole, but if Sir Tristram went in the same country that the venom came from, and in that country should he be holpen or else never. Thus said the lady unto the king. When King Mark understood that, he let purvey for Sir Tristram a fair vessel, well victualled, and therein was put Sir Tristram, and Gouvernail with him. And Sir Tristram took his harp with him, and so he was put into the sea to sail into Ireland. And so by good fortune he arrived up in Ireland, even fast by a castle where the king and the queen was. And at his arrival he sat and harped in his bed a merry lay, such a one they heard never none in Ireland before that time. And when it was told the king and queen of such a knight that was such an harper, anon the king sent for him, and let search his wounds, and then asked him his name. Then he answered, I am of the country of Leonis, and my name is Tramtrist, that was thus wounded in a battle as I fought for a lady's right. So God me help, said King Anguish, ye shall have all the help in this land that ye may have here. But I let you wit, in Cornwall I had a great loss as ever had king, for there I lost the best knight of the world. His name was Marhaus, a full noble knight, and knight of the table round. And there he told Sir Tristram wherefore Sir Marhaus was slain. Sir Tristram made semblant as he had been sorry, and better knew he how was it than the king. CHAPTER Nine. 
Then the king, for great favour, made Tramtris to be put in his daughter's ward in keeping, because she was a noble surgeon. And when she had searched him, she found in the bottom of his wound that therein was poison, and so she healed him within a while. And therefore Tramtrist cast great love to La Belle Isode, for she was at that time the fairest maid and lady of the world. And there Tramtrist learned her to harp, and she began to have a great fantasy unto him. And at that time Sir Palamedes, the Saracen, was in that country, and well cherished with the king and the queen. And every day Sir Palamedes drew unto La Belle Isode, and proffered her many gifts, for he loved her passingly well. All that espied Tramtrist, and full well he knew Sir Palamedes for a noble knight and a mighty man. And wit you well, Sir Tramtrist had great despite at Sir Palamedes, for La Belle Isode told Tramtrist that Palamedes was in will to be christened for her sake. Thus there was great envy betwixt Tramtrist and Sir Palamedes. Then it befell that King Anguish let cry a great jousts, and a great tournament for a lady that was called the Lady of the Lawns, and she was nigh cousin unto the king. And what man won her, three days after he should wed her, and have all her lands. This cry was made in England, Wales, Scotland, and also in France and in Brittany. It befell upon a day La Belle Isode came unto Sir Tramtrist, and told him of this tournament. He answered and said, Fair lady, I am but a feeble knight, and but late I had been dead had not your good ladyship been. Now, fair lady, what would ye I should do in this matter? Well ye wot, my lady, that I may not joust. Ah, Tramtrist, said La Belle Isode, why will ye not have ado at that tournament? Well, I wot Sir Palamedes shall be there, and to do what he may. And therefore, Tramtrist, I pray for you to be there, for else Sir Palamedes is like to win the degree. Madam, said Tramtrist, as for that, it may be so, for he is a proved knight, and I am but a young knight and late maid. And the first battle that I did, it mishapped me to be sore wounded, as ye see. But an I wist ye would be my better lady, at that tournament I will be, so that ye will keep my counsel, and let no creature have knowledge that I shall joust but yourself. And such as ye will to keep your counsel, my poor person I shall jeopard there for your sake, that peradventure Sir Palamedes shall know when that I come. There too, said La Belle Isode, do your best, and as I can, said La Belle Isode, I shall purvey horse and armour for you at my device. As he will, so be it, said Sir Tramtrist, I will be at your commandment. So at the day of jousts there came Sir Palamedes with a black shield, and he overthrew many knights, that all the people had marvel of him. For he put to the worst Sir Gawain, Geharis, Agravain, Bagdemagus, Kay, Dodinus le Sauvage, Sagramor le Desiros, Gumeret le Petit, and Griflet le Fils de Dieu. All these the first day Sir Palamedes struck down to the earth. And then all manner of knights were adread of Sir Palamedes, and many called him the Knight with the Black Shield. So that day Sir Palamedes had great worship. Then came King Anguish unto Tramtrist, and asked him why he would not joust. Sir, he said, I was but late hurt, and as yet I dare not adventure me. Then came there the same squire that was sent from the king's daughter of France unto Sir Tristram. And when he had espied Sir Tristram, he fell flat to his feet. All that espied La Belle Isolde, what courtesy the squire made unto Sir Tristram. And therewithal, suddenly Sir Tristram ran unto his squire, whose name was Hebes Lyrinomus, and prayed him heartily in no wise to tell his name, 
Sir, said Habes, I will not discover your name, but if ye command me. Chapter 10 Then Sir Tristram asked him what he did in those countries. Sir, he said, I came hither with Sir Gawain for to be made knight, and if it please you, of your hands that I may be made knight. Await upon me as to mourn secretly, and in the field I shall make you a knight. Then had Labellisod great suspicion unto Tramtrist that he was some man of worship proved, and therewith she comforted herself, and cast more love unto him than she had done to fore. And so on the morn Sir Palamedes made him ready to come into the field as he did at the first day. And there he smote down the king with the hundred knights, and the king of Scots. Then had Labellisod ordained and well arrayed Sir Tristram in white horse and harness, and right so she let put him out at a privy postern, and so he came into the field as it had been a bright angel. And anon Sir Palamedes espied him, and therewith he futured a spear unto Sir Tramtrist, and he again unto him. And there Sir Tristram smote down Sir Palamedes unto the earth. And then there was a great noise of people. Some said Sir Palamedes had a fall, some said the knight with the black shield had a fall, and wit ye well La Belle Isode was passing glad. And then Sir Gawain and his fellows nine had marvel what knight it might be that had smitten down Sir Palamedes. Then would there none joust with Tramtrist, but all that were there forsook him, most and least. Then Sir Tristram made Habes a knight, and caused him to put himself forth, and did right well that day. So after Sir Habes held him with Sir Tristram. And when Sir Palamedes had received this fall, wit ye well that he was sore ashamed, and as privily as he might he withdrew him out of the field. All that espied Sir Tristram, and lightly he rode after Sir Palamedes, and overtook him, and bade him turn, for better he would assay him, or ever he departed. Then Sir Palamedes turned him, and either lashed out at other with their swords. But at the first stroke Sir Tristram smote down Palamedes, and gave him such a stroke upon the head that he fell to the earth. So then Tristram bade yield him, and do his commandment, or else he would slay him. When Sir Palamedes beheld his countenance, he dread his buffets so that he granted all his askings. Well said, said Sir Tristram, this shall be your charge. First upon pain of your life that ye forsake my lady La Belle Isode, and in no manner wise that ye draw not to her. Also this twelve month and a day, that ye bear none armour nor harness of war. Now promise me this, or here shall thou die. Alas, said Sir Palamedes, for ever I am ashamed. Then he sware as Sir Tristram had commanded him. Then for despite and anger Sir Palamedes cut off his harness and threw them away. And so Sir Tristram turned again to the castle where was La Belle Isode, and by the way he met with a damosel that asked after Sir Launcelot, that won the dolorous guard worshipfully. And this damosel asked Sir Tristram what he was. For it was told her that it was he that smote down Sir Palamedes, by whom the ten knights of King Arthur's were smitten down. Then the damosel prayed Sir Tristram to tell her what he was, and whether that he were Sir Launcelot du Lake, for she deemed that there was no knight in the world might do such deeds of arms but if it were Launcelot. Fair damosel, said Sir Tristram, wit ye well that I am not Sir Launcelot, for I was never of such prowess, but in God is all, that he may make me as good a knight as the good knight Sir Launcelot. Now gentle knight, said she, put up thy visor. And, when she beheld his visage, she thought she never saw a better man's visage, nor a better faring knight. And then, when the damosel knew certainly, 
that he was not Sir Launcelot. Then she took her leave, and departed from him. And then Sir Tristram rode privily unto the postern, where kept him La Belle Isode, and there she made him good cheer, and thanked God of his good speed. So anon, within a while the king and the queen understood that it was Tramtris that smote down Sir Palamedes. Then he was much made of, more than he was before. CHAPTER Eleven. Thus was Sir Tramtrist long there well cherished with the king and the queen, and namely with La Belle Isode. So upon a day the queen and La Belle Isode made a bane for Sir Tramtrist. And when he was in his bane, the queen and Isode, her daughter, roamed up and down in the chamber. And therewhiles Gouvernail and Habes attended on Sir Tramtrist. And the queen beheld his sword there as it lay on the bed. And then by unhap the queen drew out his sword, and beheld it a long while. And they both thought it a passing fair sword, but within a foot and half of the point there was a great piece thereof outbroken of the edge. And when the queen espied that gap in the sword, she remembered her of a piece of a sword that was found in the brain-pan of Sir Marhouse, the good knight that was her brother. Alas, then, she said unto her daughter, La Belle Isode, this is the same traitor knight that slew my brother, thine eme. When Isode heard her say so, she was passing sore abashed, for passing well she loved Tramtrist, and full well she knew the cruelness of her mother the queen. Anon therewithal the queen went unto her own chamber, and sought her coffer, and there she took out the piece or the sword that was pulled out of Sir Marhouse's head after that he was dead. And then she ran with that piece of iron to the sword that lay upon the bed. And when she put that piece of steel and iron unto the sword, it was as meet as it might have been when it was new-broken. And then the queen gripped that sword in her hand fiercely, and with all her might she ran straight upon Tramtrist, where he sat in his bane. And there she had rived him through, had not Sir Habes gotten her in his arms, and pulled the sword from her, and else she had thrust him through. Then, when she was led of her evil will, she ran to the king Anguish, her husband, and said on her knees, O oh, my lord, here have ye in your house that traitor knight that slew my brother and your servant, that noble knight Sir Marhouse. Who is that? said King Anguish, and where is he? Sir, she said, it is Sir Tramtrist, the same knight that my daughter healed. Alas, said the king, therefore I am right heavy, for he is a full noble knight as ever I saw in field. But I charge you, said the king to the queen, that ye not have ado with that knight, but let me deal with him. Then the king went into the chamber unto Sir Tramtrist, and then was he gone unto his chamber, and the king found him already armed to mount upon his horse. When the king saw him already armed to go unto horseback, the king said, Nay, Tramtrist, it will not avail to compare thee against me, but thus much I shall do for my worship and for thy love, insomuch as thou art within my court, it were no worship for me to slay thee. Therefore, upon this condition I will give thee leave for to depart from this court in safety." so thou wilt tell me who was thy father, and what is thy name, and if thou slew Sir Marhouse my brother. End of Book 8 Chapters 7-11 through 11. Recording by Catherine Fitz, Davis, California